Tonight, I don't, I don't know about the rest of you, <clears throat> but I could tell as well from Craig's prayer that after all the songs were done, the one that seemed to stay with him was I Surrender All. And I was thinking about that song. Well, we don't want to just sing the words and not think about what that song's saying. <clears throat> I don't know how it is for the rest of you folks. I am naturally self-willed and my greatest battle in my entire Christian life is being in a place where I'm resigned to Christ. It's very interesting. James sent me, what, like four quotes this week just on that very thing. <clears throat> I'll tell you this got everything to do with Romans 14 and Romans 15. It's got everything to do with it. About two weeks ago, my nose started to get plugged on one side. And now two weeks later, whatever set in on me, I have not been able to kick. And there's been about three or four times where I felt like I was recovering. Last Sunday, I felt like I was doing better. We went over to that McDonald's. I had a glass of tea and suddenly, it came, whatever I have came back with a vengeance. And all week I've had these body aches and pains. And yesterday I was feeling better and I got out in the yard and I was weed eating. And 3.30 a.m. this morning, I was up and it was upon me again with a vengeance. Ruby was asking me, are you even going to go this morning? I said, I don't want to do that to Matt or Craig. It's about a half hour before tell them they've got to preach the 11 o'clock. <clears throat> so, I'm going to trust the Lord to get me through. You can open your Bibles to Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15, I want to read the first seven verses. We who are strong probably be interesting. We who are strong. It sounds like Paul puts himself in that group, doesn't it? You know, Earlier on in this practical section of Romans, Paul said not to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think, right? Fact is, there are strong people in the church. And Paul's not saying that necessarily that it's wrong if you recognize that you're one of those people. It seems like he recognizes himself as one, and we would probably assume that Paul was strong, right? But, but it would be interesting to me. I, I know this about Paul. 
he had tremendous discernment. And he had tremendous humility. And so when he makes this assessment of himself, I think for one, we can assume that it's accurate. Two, that it, we can assume that it's done out of a very meek spirit. But it would be interesting if we went around with a blind ballot and uh, had everybody in this place that believes that they're a Christian put down on that piece of paper whether they believe they're strong or whether they're weak. I don't know, it just comes into my head that'd be an interesting thing to do. God help us to have the discernment to know. One of the difficulties pastoring is people who assume they are strong when they are not. In fact, my greatest difficulties as a pastor have been in that very area. I guarantee you, if I, if I were to list the top five trials pastoring as far as conflict I've had with other people, it's, it's right there. <clears throat> Lack of discernment about whether... It's, it's people thinking they're strong who are weak. God help us. God give us discernment. Okay, here we go. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please Himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on Me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Now just say very quickly here at the end, as I pointed out when we started chapter 14, a whole chapter ago, there really shouldn't be a chapter break right here. Or at least there shouldn't be a division in our thought. You all know, and it's been said before, the Lord didn't inspire chapter and verse divisions. Men have done that. And at times it might be possible that they could have been better placed. Well, this might be one of the places in our Bibles where it might have been better to have placed a chapter division somewhere else. And one of the reasons for that is you can see here in verse 1, if you look at verse 1, We've already touched on it. He's speaking about strong and the weak. The very concept, if you remember, that he opened up chapter 14 with, right? Still dealing with the same subject matter here. Furthermore, if you notice there at the end of verse 2, Paul is charging us with really the same thing that he has been charging us with in Romans 14. Romans 14, 19 tells us that we should mutually be building up one another. He ends Romans 15, 2 on the same note. Let each of us not please his neighbor for his good to build him up. Got the same kind of idea there. So the first two verses of Romans 15 contain some of the things 
that aren't new to us. They're carryovers from Romans 14. But that's, that's not to say that there isn't anything new here. There is. Now look at it. There's a word that Paul begins to use in verse 1 that he hasn't used thus far. And he uses it again in verse 2 and again in verse 3. Anybody see what that word is? What was it? Please. That's exactly, exactly right. You see it in verse 1, again in verse 2, again in verse 3. We're not to please ourselves. We're rather to please our neighbor just as Christ did not please Himself. Okay, here's, here's where I'm at with this. I've entitled my message Five Steps to Glory. And these steps are going to be taken from verses 3 through 7. They're steps that Paul would have us climb in order to get to that attitude of not pleasing myself, which results in glory. That's why I call it five steps to glory. It results in the glory of God, and it results in our glory as well. And I'll show you that when we get there. But I think before, before I pass over these first two verses, they really lay kind of the foundation for these steps that we're going to look at. And so before I run on, I do want to hit this word please for just a second. I want to say two things about it before I give us the five steps to glory that I think you're going to see aren't artificial. They're there in the text. But the two things I want to say about pleasing others, we need to be clear about this. Verse 1 says, that we are to please our neighbor, why? Why are we to please our neighbor? For his good, right? Or for his upbuilding, to build him up. That's why we please him. We please him precisely for that reason. Now, what I want you guys to realize is this. This is not a universal principle that we apply to every single situation, right? Some of you are saying, what are you talking about? He says, don't please, our, don't please ourselves for their good, for their upbuilding. How, how can you come along right now and say it's not a universal principle? Well, because if you take it as a universal principle, as soon as you do that, you're going to find where Paul apparently, somewhere else, says something to absolutely contradict that statement. For instance, how about, don't turn there, but just listen to me. How about Galatians 1? Am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? What's the answer? Is he trying to please man? No. If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Look, in the Galatian churches, crucial issues about the content of the Gospel were at stake. Right? If you're familiar with Galatians, you know that that's the point. Paul is saying, that he will not change the gospel to please man. Why? Because when the gospel's changed, Christ is not served and people are destroyed. So, bottom line, if we can please people and the result is their good, if we can please people and the result is their upbuilding, then we do it. But if what pleases destroys, we don't. Right? 
Again, God help us to discern the difference. Knowing when something is really helpful to others and having the discernment as to when something actually would damage others. Brethren, you need to know when to offend men and when to avoid offending men. And it takes the wisdom of Solomon, folks. Okay. And that's one thing to say about the word please. The second thing, God is speaking to you, folks, when the apostle comes along and says to the Romans, under the inspiration of God, not to please yourself, for the upbuilding of others, I would say this, I suspect that a lot of times when you read your Bible, you probably read right over verses 1 and 2 of chapter 15 of Romans. Probably do it so fast it doesn't hit you. It's very easy not to take it seriously. Paul is speaking in dead serious terms. And I'll say this. Listen, folks. If you have not denied yourself in your Christian life for the sake of brothers and sisters, you're not living here. You're not living like He's calling you to live. You've got, you've got a serious issue with the love that you have for the brothers and sisters if you have never... Listen, do you think it's possible to get to Judgment Day? And remember what happens so clearly on Judgment Day when you think about something like Matthew chapter 25? What is it that's said there? As much as you did it unto one of these, the least of mine, you did it unto me. Now, what are we going to say if we get to Judgment Day and the Lord says, okay, let's open these books. I see not a single time here that you ever sacrificed anything for the sake of upbuilding brethren. And as much as you didn't do it to them, you didn't do it to me. Brethren, I'll tell you this, if the Apostle's calling us to this, then it's because... You and I, in our life together, as we seek unity and harmony, as we seek a oneness, it is of necessity. Paul knows what we're made of. That's why he's exhorting this way. He knows that men naturally do not have, by what they're made of, their very stuff they're made of in Adam, they do not have the tendency to make sacrifices for others. They're selfish. They're self-absorbed. They're self-gratifying. Brethren, I'll tell you this. A text like this better mean something to our lives. It better. But, I, you know, think about. As I'm thinking about this, I'm thinking about you know, I'm thinking we just, we've just a month removed or so from Christmas. And you know everything that the world throws at us. We are literally surrounded by the noise of all these voices that say, please yourself. And, and that word please, you, you notice it's very much like pleasure, right? Pleasure is what we go after when we want to please ourselves. 
saying to not please ourselves, saying that to us American Christians. The picture that came to my mind is sometimes like a mouse squeaking over in the corner at a rock concert. Nobody hears it. You have these things come at us, but we have so many voices coming at us. Buy this. Get this. You need this. You want to be happy? Get it. Get it now. Go into debt to get it. Just get it. Because if you don't get it, there's not going to be pleasure, and you need to get it. You need to dive in. You need to go after this. Brethren, we're immersed in a culture like this. Listen. Listen to me. What is Paul dealing with here? He's not dealing with non-essential things. Or, or rather, he is, he is dealing with non-essential things. He's not dealing with matters like the Gospel. But I'll tell you this, you and I know it. You, you know what? You can read across this and say, meat, vegetables. You know, who of us are fighting over meat and vegetables? Listen, when he says, now, now think with me, he says, don't please yourself for the good of others. The issue isn't meat. Listen, what's for the good of others? Anything you or I can do that is going to be for their good. In other words, that will help them to be more fruitful. And look, Paul's not talking about the guy over there that's the prude, and he's a legalist, and he's trying to shove his convictions down my throat because he doesn't like my liberty. We're not talking about that. We're talking about looking around at the brethren and saying, what am I doing? Listen, you know this full well. How do we live life? We live life watching each other. And I'll guarantee you this, there are people who will do things or not do things based on what they see the pastors doing, based on what they see the deacons doing, based on what they see the most people who are in their estimation, those godly people in the church, based on those who they think are strong. We are watching each other. And I'll tell you what, more than once it's probably been said among people in this church, well, Brother Tim does it, or... Brother John does it, or Brother Craig does it, or David does it, or Kenny does it, or something like that. Brethren, we watch each other. And the fact is, Paul doesn't come along and say, you know, sometimes we can have this attitude. Well, you know what, if that brother over there just can't live with my convictions, then he just needs to grow up. He just needs to mature. It's his problem. Brethren, that's not what Paul says. He says it's your problem. He says you need to deny yourself. You know what, folks? The issue today isn't meat. You know where the issue is today, especially in this country with us? I'll tell you where it is oftentimes. It's in lavish lifestyles. Why? Because what do we want to do? We want to encourage one another to run this race as fast as we can, to get to the end as best as we can, as Christ-like as we can, imitating Christ as much as we can, not conform to this world, having our minds transformed, living lives like Christ, denying lives like Christ denied. Here's one who had no place to lay his head. And I'll tell you what, the young Christians are watching you older ones. You buy your lavish houses. You buy your multiple cars. You live in the secluded neighborhoods. And people are watching you. And I'll tell you what, this is where it affects us. Not pleasing myself. Am I willing to take some risks in life and step away from the gated community or step away from 
having that beautiful house or stay, step away from having that car that I really don't need or that phone I don't really need. Folks, we're watching each other. And I'll tell you what, where a person might be inclined to not have to have the latest, greatest telephone, he might be inclined to just get the freebie deal and to have the base minimum service so they could give the rest to missions or something, and you come along flaunting all your stuff, I'll tell you, that's where we live. And that's, brethren, I guarantee you, we are watching each other. And I'll guarantee that the things you do have led others to do things they've done. And if you don't think that's true, then you're missing the whole point of Romans 14 and 15, because Paul knows that's exactly what happens. He knows that's exactly the case. Brethren, we need to watch how we live. <coughs> Excuse me. Live in a generation of immediate gratification. And what happens? Jesus comes along to us and He lays His gracious hand upon us. And He makes us into these new creations. He turns our hearts. He says to us, my son, my daughter. He speaks. He speaks to our frustrated Guilty souls, frustrated because the pleasures we seek after are never fulfilled. He comes to us. And see, this is exactly what Paul's doing. He's saying, look at Christ. He says, I didn't please myself when I came to rescue you from sin and hell. Do you think... I found pleasure in being mocked and ridiculed by men and spit upon. Do you think having the spit of men running off my cheeks was pleasing to me? The object of their scorn and their ridicule I didn't please myself when I became a man. And I didn't please myself when I had no place to lay my head. And I didn't please myself when God crushed me on that cross. I didn't please myself. And you can almost hear His voice. You know, you can imagine how He would talk just by the character of His person. Gently, but with power. And he says, follow me. Follow me into this realm. Brethren, if you have ears to hear, then hear. This isn't just about not pleasing myself with a glass of wine if it might trip you up. This is about not pleasing myself in every aspect of life in which it is true that if I don't please myself by partaking of a certain liberty, my not pleasing myself is likely to result in you being helped, in you running faster, in you getting to the end with more fruit 
and more good works, having run the race better and more faithfully and more built up and more helped, running the race faster. Brethren, I'll tell you, the decisions you make when you're determining what house to live in, others are watching you. I'll tell you this, Christ seriously has things to say to those who cause His children to stumble. You see, it's not neat, folks, today. It's something else. And you know it as well as I do. The thing that trips up American Christians is not neat. It's riches and mishandling riches and mishandling wealth and mishandling stuff and misusing. What are you going to say? What are you going to say to the Lord when you went out and spent excessive money on some knick-knack that only sits over in the corner of your house to collect dust? And then you have the brethren over and they see the way you spent money. And they look at that and they say, well... Brother and sister, so-and-so do that. That must be okay for me not to quite give as much and to lavishly live that way myself. Brethren, that's the issue. And you know what, you know what John says? John says, by this is it evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God nor is the one who does not love his brother. Brethren, love for others, we're finding out in Romans 14 and 15, is characterized by not pleasing yourself. Not seeking all your pleasures here. Brethren, can you say you've loved the brethren if this is a foreign concept to you? And if it's a foreign concept to you, that's, that's indicative of no love for the brethren. And no love for the brethren is indicative of children of the devil, not children of God. Folks, this is where it hits us. Paul brings up Christ as the example here. Christ called us in the midst of this generation and this day to follow Him. Don't please yourselves. Okay. I'm going to quickly run through these. Five steps. Five steps to glory. Here's what I mean. In verses 3-7, through seven, I see a progression of steps. A progression that finds its ultimate end in the glory of God. I'll show it to you right up front. It's no mystery. And then we'll hit each one of these individually. You can all see it as well as I can. The first step is Scripture. Paul goes to Scripture. That's what you have in verse 3. You have a quote from Psalm 69. And in verse 4, Paul refers to whatever was written. That's Scripture. Again, so the first thing we have is Scripture. The second step is in verse 4. 
You can see it there. Whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction. So you have Scripture first. The second, you have instruction from the Scripture. The third step is endurance and encouragement. That springs from the Scriptures when we're instructed by them. You see that as well in verse 4. The fourth step is the hope. That's right at the end of verse 4. The hope that comes from the encouragement and the endurance of the Scriptures. And the fifth step is the harmony at the beginning of verse 5 that springs from that hope. And this all leads to the culmination which is God's glory as you see it there in verses 6 and 7. So, we're expected to see Psalm 69.9 by which we should receive instruction that leads to encouragement, that leads to hope, that leads to harmony, that leads to glory. God's glory. So let's take these one at a time. First one. First step, Scripture. Paul wants to provoke us. Here's the thing. Verses 1 and 2 lay the platform because this is what Paul really wants. He wants the harmony that springs from not pleasing ourselves or the like-mindedness or the one accord with Christ which is to the glory of God. So what does he do? He draws from Scripture. He pulls out the second half of Psalm 69.9, lays it before us as having specific application to the problem at hand. In verse 4, he assumes this ought to be general practice for all of us concerning whatever was written in former days. Now folks, what I really want you to feel is this. You will never get to the second step unless you start with the first step. What's the second step? The second step is instruction from the Scriptures. But you'll never get instruction from the Scriptures if you're not in the Scriptures. You see that? The first step is Scripture. You'll never get to the harmony that leads to God's glory if you aren't first in the Word, familiar with the Word, reading the Word. Mark it down. If your relationship with the Word of God... Folks... Listen to me. If your relationship with the Word of God did not change when you became a Christian, it can only be because you didn't become a Christian at all. Only in name, maybe. Wasn't it Spurgeon that said some of you can write damnation in the dust on your Bibles? That's a reality, folks. That is a reality. Let me tell you this. Aside, folks... Aside from imprisonment or some disabling sickness or disease, it is absolutely inexcusable in this country with our multitudes of Bibles for any professing Christian to let a single day pass without being in the Word of God. What in the world does that say? That means as you prioritized your day, the very Word of God did not fall into the highest priorities of that day. Brethren, I'll tell you this. The Apostle Peter says, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the Word that you may grow thereby. I'll tell you, if you do not give a baby its milk, it's going to have a fit. If you, as a Christian, a professing Christian, lack a desire in, to be in the Word so that you can let whole days go by and you prioritize every other thing in your day to come before that so that when you're done with it, it never made it into that day. Can you even begin to say that you have such 
a hunger like a newborn babe. To have days in your life where the Word of God didn't make it up high enough on your list of priorities to read it. It doesn't sound like a baby desiring milk. It sounds like something else. And Look, I've told folks this before. Those in Matthew 7 who are told to depart, it's never as if there weren't warning signs that that was coming. Never. Never, never, never. The red flags were waving all along. They were just blind to them. And this is one of the red flags, folks. The only baby that doesn't desire milk is what? Dead or very, very sick. Number two. So, so there you've got it. Scripture. We've got to be in the Scripture. We've got to be there. The second step in our progression is seen in verse 4. Whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction. Or it might be the term learning in some of your Bibles. Now here's what I want you to really notice. Do you see how verse 4 starts? You all see that. Well, what's so significant about that? Just this. It means that what Paul is saying in verse 4 is connected with what he just said, got done saying in verse 3. What did he just get done doing? He just got done showing us by his own example how Scripture should instruct us. He brings us to Psalm 69.9. He uses it to encourage us not to please ourselves. Now, here, look, here's what I want you to see. For you to get instruction, think with me here. Folks, how many of us, if we saw two Christians over in the corner at Fatty's Burgers on a Sunday afternoon during the lunchtime, there's two professing Christians in this church and they're arguing back and forth about their convictions in such a way that there's a danger that the stronger one among them may get the weaker one to violate his conscience, how many of us are going to say, oh, you know what? Psalm 69.9, second half of the verse. That's it. That, that's what works on that. That's exactly what Paul did. And you know what? You say, yeah, but Paul was inspired. Inspired guys did that kind of thing all the time. Yeah, that's true, but hold on. When you get to verse 4, he's not assuming that just because he's an apostle that he has some special insight. Now, obviously, inspired guys did have special insight, but he's not assuming that what he does in verse 3 is something you and I can't do, right? Because he specifically goes after all of us. And he says whatever was written, he doesn't say is for my learning as an apostle. He says it's for ours. Now here's the thing. Brethren, how do you get to the place? Can, can you imagine, if any of you are familiar at all with Psalm 69, you know this, David wrote it. Right? How do you, how do you get to the place where you take something David wrote a long time ago and see somebody quarreling over meat and vegetables and have the ability to reach in and pluck out of Psalm 69, second half of the verse, something to apply to that problem. Brethren, the reason 
he had the ability to do that, and he's assuming that we ought to have the ability to do that too, is because he studied the scriptures so as to be instructed. You see, folks, he had to get he had to study the scriptures carefully enough for one to understand that when David spoke, he could take it as Christ speaking. Because he studied the Bible well enough to realize that a lot of what David said was prophetic of what Christ would say, right? And then he has to study it close enough to actually contemplate and realize that what Christ says there when he says that is something that if we're going to seek to follow him and imitate his life is practical for us and our problems today. Now, brethren, this is practical. Why? Because if you are not studying your Bibles in such a manner as to be able to get such instruction out of it that is applicable for real-life situations and real-life people, you're not studying your Bibles right. So that's the second thing. Brethren, I'll tell you this. Paul didn't come to the ability where he, he could go to Psalm 69, apply it to a problem in his present day in the church of the living Christ simply by reading morning and evening once a day and getting the one scripture verse at the beginning. That is not the kind of Bible study that gets you to the place where you've got an ability to apply Scripture to real life. Listen, if you walk away from it, you're just like, well, I didn't get a whole lot out of that. I just, my Bible reading, I, I typically don't come away with things that are useful for my life. You know, I read it, I don't get a lot out of it. Brethren, you're, you're not reading it right. Third, third step. We have what is written. We have instruction from what is written. The next step in our progression here is that when God's people are properly instructed from God's Word, it produces the endurance and encouragement of the Scriptures. Whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures. And we can stop right there. Brethren, endurance, it's something you need when the race is long. Right? Encouragement is that help that stimulates and inspires us to keep up the race when we feel like quitting. See how practical that is? Yes, we need the Word of God. Yes, we need to be instructed from it. But what I learned from the Word of God must come with such sufficient power into my soul in order to help me keep running the race. And I'll tell you, Brethren, only the precious children of God know how the Word of God has encouraged Him to keep up the good fight when the night is dark and the trail is lonely and the hounds of hell dog our steps and weariness presses in like a great weight. Brethren, if reading the Bible doesn't encourage you, again I say this, you aren't reading it right. That leads me to the fourth thing, hope. You see that in verse 4. Whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction. So we have whatever was written, one, written for our instruction, two, that through endurance and through encouragement, three, of the Scriptures we might have hope. That's four. Through the endurance and encouragement of the Scriptures, we find hope. Well, what is hope? Well, it's not, you guys all recognize, it's not exactly the same thing as faith, right? 
The thing that is very unique about hope is that it always has to do with something future, future expectations. It, it, it's very closely related to faith and to belief, but it's the belief of receiving something future. That's what hope's all about. Uh, Paul said it this way in Romans 8.24, who hopes for what he sees? The point is, we do not hope for what we see. We hope for what we do not yet see. Folks, we could sum it up like this. For the believer in Jesus Christ, we have been promised an eternal weight of glory. We have been promised the unsearchable riches of Christ. That's what we've been promised. Joy, joy set before us is really what hope is all about. Hope is what I have when I have an expectation of yet unrealized pleasure. Right? Don't please yourself here, but the hope is there's forevermore pleasures out there on the horizons. In your presence, this is our hope, in His presence there is fullness of joy and at His right hand pleasures forevermore. That's our hope. Again, brethren, I must keep emphasizing this. If your Bible reading does not steadily and increasingly produce expectations and hopes of glory that more and more cause this world to dim and die to you, something is dreadfully wrong. You're not reading your Bibles right. Let's get to the fifth thing, harmony. Verse 5, may the God of endurance and encouragement, there's our two words, that's interesting. There's our two words that we just in verse 4 found came from the Scriptures, and now Paul kind of turns towards prayer and calling upon the Lord. May the God of that endurance and encouragement, let me tell you something, getting hope, getting encouragement, getting endurance, getting understanding, this is something that the Spirit of God does. This is something God is responsible for. I'll tell you this. If you want hope, if you want encouragement in your Christian life, if you need endurance, if you need instruction, and you're not going to the Word of God, it's no different than those who pray for the salvation of other individuals but don't preach the Gospel. Brethren, our God is a God of means. And the way that He comforts and encourages and gives hope to his people is through the word of God you just can't get around that and to think that you're going to is thinking wrong brethren you and I don't need to think very hard about that last word in verse 4 and how we get to the harmony of verse 5 think with me here Paul hints at this same connection in his letter to the Colossians you don't turn there but listen to me Colossians 1 Verse 4, we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, now listen to this, and of the love that you have for all the saints. Okay, so we heard about the love. Listen to this, verse 5, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Paul makes the connection here between love they have for all the saints, 
precisely because of the hope laid up for them in heaven. Brother, let me tell you this. When your hope is in glory, and your hope is to be with Christ, and your hope is to be like Christ, and your hope is to just gaze on His face forever and forever and forever when your hope is laid up in heaven, when all your hope is there, your greatest hope is getting out of this life and going to be with Him to have joy unspeakable, you can freely sacrifice in this life. You can freely give of yourselves in love and not please your own self. Why? Because when you have hope, you don't need to please yourself all the time. You can give up. You know what? You can say, I know that neighborhood. It's safe. It's far removed from all the trouble of the inner city. It's protected. The houses are beautiful. I love curb appeal. But you know what? I'll tell you the only people that can't give stuff up like that. It's people that have all their hopes pinned to this world. Because when your hope is out there, and you realize my life is a vapor. And I am passing through this life so fast. And you know, I just realized this. If I buy that house, when I could buy this modest deal over here in a neighborhood that by far has more issues and more problems and more crime and more whatever, you know what? I, I might very well encourage my brothers and sisters to go in that direction too. And if I encourage them to live a more modest lifestyle, then they're going to have more to give with. And you know what? People whose hopes are pinned here can't do that. They can't think that way. People whose hopes are pinned here can't look at retirement and say, I'm cashing it out and helping the orphans over in China. Why? Because their hopes are pinned on retirement here. Rather than having a hope of glory. You see, folks, hope of glory frees us. And you know what it says here at the end of verse 5? It's in accord with Christ. Brethren, this is the essential issue. These five steps lead to glory. Yes, God's glory, we're going to get to that in just a second, but I want to show you this. This is in accord with Christ. When you have the ability to go to the Word of God and be instructed in such a way that you get this endurance and encouragement that leads to this hope, this hope that brings in this self-denying, not-pleasing-myself kind of harmony, that's in accord with the Christ who did not please Himself for your sake. Laid aside the things that were pleasing to Him for the sake of His Father and for the sake of those people He came to redeem. Brethren, this is being like Christ. And if you have never read, we have this essential verse that comes at us out of 2 Corinthians 3.18, we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Let me tell you what, when you make sacrifices and you don't set out to please yourself, but for the hope of that glory, you set aside things and deny yourself. Guess what? We behold Christ not pleasing Himself, 
And it says, Paul says in 2 Corinthians, as we behold His glory, we ourselves are being transformed into that same glory. From one degree of glory to another degree of glory. Brethren, I'll tell you this. Many people think about glorification as something that happens after we die. That's not the teaching of the New Testament. The teaching of the New Testament. Sometimes people wonder when they get over to to Romans 8 and verse 30. They wonder, why why does it say that those He justified, He also glorified? Past tense. Well, some people would say, Well, because even though it's a future thing, it's past tense because of the certainty of it. And I'm not going to knock that. There is a certainty of it. But folks, one of the things that we might want to consider too is that there may be past tense usages of the word glorified just simply because every true child of God is being glorified and to some degree already has been glorified. We, As we become more and more conformed to Christ, how is this conversation? being conformed to Christ, well, we know what the Scripture says. I I don't think any of you are probably ignorant of this text. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame. Joy set before us! That's what hope is. Joy set before us! For the joy set before Him, He went to the cross. For the joy set before Him, He denied Himself. For the joy set before Him, He could not please Himself. And as as we become more and more conformed to that image, we're going to let the riches and the toys and the stuff and the MP3 players and all the stuff that we love to just drown ourselves in, all these voices shouting at us, you need this, you need this, You need that. You see Christ with no place to lay His head. You stare at that long enough and that begins to take hold on you. You begin to be instructed from that. Folks, I'll tell you, the real issue here is when you go to the Word of God, the real instruction that God wants you to find He wants you to be instructed in Christ. The encouragement and the endurance, we endure when we see Christ enduring. The hope is to be with Christ. The harmony that is produced by that hope is in accord with Christ. And all these five steps bring us to verses 6 and 7, and you can see it there, that together you may with one voice glorify. That unity, that Harmony that is brought about when we are a hope-filled people, it glorifies the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. Again, as He did it, be like Him in accord with Christ for the glory of God. Brethren, back in Romans 3, Paul said those famous words, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that's true of all fallen men. But let me tell you this. 
When men and women are made alive in Christ, regenerated by the power of God, they go to the Word of God, they learn, especially learn about Christ from the Word of God, and by that learning they get encouragement from the Word of God so that they may have hope through that Word of God, resulting in Christ-like, self-denying, loving harmony. God is glorified. You may not know many things in your life. You've got to figure them out. You've got to weigh them out. You've got to prove what is that perfect and acceptable will of God. But I'll tell you one thing you ought not to have any doubts about. When you make self-denying sacrifices to help these brethren run faster, that is to God's glory. And the harmony it brings is sweet aroma to Him. Well, I'll finish with this. If you're reading your Bible, and it is not visibly producing that Christ-like harmony and unity. I must emphasize again, if not, you're not reading your Bible aright. Now, I've said that a number of times. And I'll just finish with this. Somebody might be wondering, well, how do you read your Bible aright to get all that out of it? Can I tell you the first thing? You need to read it saved. One of the reasons people don't get all these things from their Bible reading is because they don't possess the Spirit of God. Listen, if you find yourself rarely getting anything out of God's Word, needing to run to men all the time, all the time, that's not to say there isn't a place for teachers and preachers and those folks that are gifted in special ways to handle the Word of God, obviously there is a place for that. But if you can never grow, if you can never be encouraged, if you can never be instructed, if you can never find that powerful Christ-conforming, Spirit-endowed, transforming reality flowing from the Word of God when you're in it, You should be concerned. You should be concerned. One of the reasons some of you are not in the Word of God and some of you don't have a desire for the Word of God and when you do go to the Word of God, you don't get anything out of it is because you're, you're putting the wagon before the horse. You're not equipped to benefit from the Word. There needs to be a surrendering to Christ giving it all to Him, forsaking all to Him, seeing in Him everything you need to be saved from your sin and the wrath of God, falling at His feet. The second thing is, you even see it in the context here in verse 5. Paul is calling on the Lord, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you you see those words that grant you. In other words, that encouragement and that endurance come through the Word of God, but it's God who has to give it. He's the one that grants it. I'll tell you this, you need to be prayerful. Don't just jump in the Word of God. Pray, 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 pray. Who was it? Was it Whitfield that read his Bible on his knees? Seems like maybe, did Mueller do that as well? 
I mean, I'm not saying you have to do that. But I'm saying there's something about that posture that really, Lord, I need you to help me. I need, I need you to give me these things. We need to read saved. We need to read prayerfully. We need to read undistracted. When I was in engineering school, the, the thought of trying to study advanced calculus in front of a blaring television or crying children or that type of thing <coughs> Excuse me. And I realize some of you mothers. But look, when the children are asleep, that's not time to run and do all these other things. That's time to get into the Word of God. Undistracted, folks. You're only going to pull the valuable heart out of the Word of God when you're undistracted. When you're focused. Paul didn't read the later half of Psalm 69.9 full of all sorts of distractions and come to the conclusion that this had something to say to him about Christ. Something so profound that it could help these saints through all the ages. But especially, first and foremost, those at Rome. You don't come to that place with all sorts of distractions. You come to that place when your mind is undistracted. You're able to prayerfully fill your head with it. I'll tell you this, folks. <clears throat> you need to read your Bible with a clear conscience. Why? We've already looked at it. There's, there's great dangers shown to us in the last couple verses of Romans 14. Very grave dangers. Destruction kind of dangers. Those make shipwreck of the faith who do not hold to a good conscience. Folks, I'll tell you this. True Christians can defile their conscience. And what you ultimately end up doing is grieving the Spirit of God. And it is the very Spirit of God who is the one who makes the Word of God alive to God's people. And if you're living your life with all these obstructions in your life that are, that are basically concealing your reception of grace, they're clogging the pipelines as it were, you're not in a place. You sit down to open up the Word of God, you've got a defiled conscience, you, you make things right before you go to the Word of God. You determine you're going to make them right. It's trying to study the Word of God with distraction, unprayerfully, with defiled conscience. Folks, you're not going to get anything out of it. The other thing I would say, study slowly. Some of us can read faster and get in the same instruction that it requires others of us to have to read more slowly. I'll tell you this. You really want to know what Scripture says. You need a feel for the context. You need to study slowly. You need to meditate on the Word of God. You need to chew it. And I'll tell you this. There is no substitute for Bible memorization. You will never get to the place where you understand Scripture to the same degree from, from memorizing. When you memorize it, of necessity, you are going to be meditating on it. And you are going to be pulling that verse apart and those chapters apart that you memorize word by word as you memorize those things. <clears throat> no substitutes. And I would just, one last thing I would say is this. 
I know that once in a while and now and again, I come across people who are just radically committed to some old version of the Bible. And yet, I've asked those people at times, hey brother, read such and such verse and tell me what it means. Man, they'll hold to that version with clamps of iron. But when you ask them to read a certain verse, they have no idea what it means. Brethren, I realize there's textual issues we all have to wrestle through. But read a Bible you can understand. I'd rather, I don't like the NIV, but I'd rather see somebody reading it and understanding it than trying to read something that they can't understand. Because if you don't understand, you don't profit. Bottom line, folks, without understanding, you can't profit. If you've got a Bible that you've been latched onto and for some reason you've just been convinced it's absolutely the right one, um, but you're having problems understanding it, keep it. But put it on the shelf for a season. Grab something else you can understand. We need to know what God's Word says if we're going to benefit from it. But these are the right ways. Brethren, I think you can see it come right out of these verses. I, I didn't invent this. Well, may God give us to be a hope-filled people. You are dismissed.